Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us and that you have shown your love to us by sacrificing your Son for us. Thank you that he gives himself to us. Thank you for your word which speaks grace and the sweetness of your grace into our hearts. We pray that you will give us your Holy Spirit, that we in turn will be, be gracious and speak graciously to each other in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. I want to look at part of the epistle uh, reading for this Sunday. It's too big to take all of it, so I take the second part of it, and we mightn't even get through that, but I'll give it a go. It's really good to be here. It's always a joy to be here and to meet with you, dear people. Um, this part of Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus is about life in the church. Life in the church as a fragrant heavenly communion, a sweet-smelling community. Now, one of the problems that we have in the Western world is our individualism. We always think in terms of I rather than we. And we don't really realise how destructive that is and how much we miss out because of our individualism. And that's not new. It's quite obvious from what Paul says here. Okay, let's just read through what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 25 following. You've got, has everybody got a copy of the handout? Okay, there's plenty of them around, aren't there? Don't? Okay, there's one back there. Yeah. Uh, then at least if you have that, you have a copy of the biblical passage and you can see what I should have said rather than what I actually did say. <laughs> and you can correct me. You said. Paul says, uh, first of all, the context, he says, uh, is, is baptismal. He says, look, when you were baptised... You put off the old self, the old ego, the old you, and you put on Jesus. And with Jesus, you um, had a makeover. Uh, a new self uh, was given to you. Okay, but that makeover doesn't end with the baptismal ceremony. The makeover that begins in baptism, or that comes out of baptism, lasts the whole of your life. And the makeover... Uh, from old self to new self, is worked out in community. Um, the congregation, the Christian community, is the way by which God reshapes us from one kind of person to the kind of people he wants us to be, from being individuals turned in on ourselves to communal people. Okay, now here's where he starts, and it's very interesting where he starts about this. What's the problem? What is it that disrupts community, whether it is marriage, family, whatever? Listen where Paul starts. He says, Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. <clears throat> Be angry, but do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give opportunity, actually the word that Paul uses, a room in the house for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work, something good is another way of translating, with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. Do not let corrupting talk, uh, foul speech, rotten speech, putrid speech, putrid words, come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath, I'd translate rage, and anger and clamour, clamour, by the way, is verbal abuse, using it abusively, um, clamour, verbal abuse, and slander. Be put away. Actually, uh, Paul puts it a bit con. Be taken away, removed. It's the same word that he uses for the removal of sins, the taking away of sin. Let all, all this stuff be taken away from you, be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, you could also translate compassionate, forgiving, uh, that's a word with two meanings, forgiving and being gracious um, to one another. Just as God, in Christ, God has forgiven you or has been gracious to you. Therefore, the conclusion now, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now just a little uh, hint for you about when you read and study and meditate on the Bible, um, uh, don't go the way uh, probably you were taught to read in uh, school, where you taught to read for the ideas. Read the Bible looking for the pictures, the images, the analogies. And this is full of pictures that I want to unpack for you as you go. Now, the dominant picture which comes at the end is of a sweet aroma, a sweet smell. Now, Paul leads up to that. That's the big final picture. Uh, If you think of the incense in church, okay? Uh, A sweet smell. Um, And the picture is you have two types of community, people living together, stinking communities or sweet-smelling communities. Very powerful picture. I don't know whether you realise that the most powerful sense that we have, the last sense that dies when we die, is the sense of smell. And it's a much underrated sense. We use it much more than we realise. And it uh, uh, affects us far more deeply than we realise. So for me, for example, coming to the USA, um, I realise I'm a different... The US smells differently to me. (laughs) You you can work out why. (laughs) Okay, let's start this then. What's the first part? Where does he start? 
Therefore, since you're baptized, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So the foundation for Christian community is truth and truthful speech. The church, and you've heard your pastor say, this is a place where, there is, uh, where truth is. And uh, uh, it's founded on truth, and everything depends on truth. So where things go wrong in the church, where things go wrong in your marriage, where things go wrong in your family and friendships, usually what lies behind it is the lie, untruth. Okay? Uh, Paul starts off and says, this is number one. This is where it starts. Um, truthful speech. And he says, okay, uh, speak the truth one to another. Uh, speak the truth to his neighbor. Um, the most dangerous weapon that we have is not this, but this. This does more damage in a marriage, in a home, and most of all, in the church. The same weapon, however, that does the greatest damage also does the greatest good. The tongue. Okay? Watch your tongue. The tongue. Okay? Speaking truth. Um, now, that sounds pretty obvious. And Paul uses two pictures. He doesn't elaborate it. You can go elsewhere and get the pictures and use two pictures, he said, um, uh, to describe how this is to happen. Uh, first of all, he uses a picture of undressing, uh, putting away, putting off, undressing all falsehood. Okay, uh, uh, just follow that picture. What do you do when you undress? You take off the clothes for what purpose? Okay, yeah, you're too practical. Uh, no, that's fine, that's good. But uh, what happens when you take off your clothes? People see you the way you are. And we put on clothes to do what purpose? To cover up what we are. To cover up. So clothes cover us. When we undress, we uncover ourselves. And that's why it's so ambiguous. Uh, a very powerful human image, undressing. I mean, none of you would want to undress here in public. Uh, I'd hope so. <laughs> uh, and you wouldn't want me to do that for you. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, uh, uncovering ourselves. Okay, uh, Paul's hinting here that what falsehood does is covers up always. Lies cover up the bad in us. And uh, clothes then present us in the best possible light. You, you dress up to show yourself in the best possible light. You dress in order to cover up. So the uh, speaking the truth has something to do with uncovering yourself. Not physically, but what lies in your heart. So undressing. That's the first picture, and it's connected with the undressing, if you like, that happens in baptism. You undress, you take off the one uh, self image, and you put on a new self. Um, 
And secondly, the, the next picture is a bit more complex. Uh, uh, Paul belongs to a different society where people don't think so much in terms of ideas, but, but, but in terms of pictures. Uh, and what, uh, So we have to unpack the pictures where people in the ancient world would go, oh yeah, I can see what he's doing. It's like watching a television ad. You see what the pictures are doing there. So he says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. Now the picture there is of a community, a Christian community, whether it is a marriage or family, but most of all a congregation, is a body. And you know the way a body works. The important thing is you have a head uh, that coordinates all the parts of the body. So I'm using my hands, I'm using my tongue, I'm using my eyes. Now, all my whole body is involved. Uh, my brain is uh, uh, coordinating all the parts of my body so that they work properly. Um, so that the gestures fit the, what I'm saying, uh, etc. You know the way it works? So the, 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 the body needs to be coordinated if it is to work properly. Now... Uh, Paul says, a body can't work properly if there is miscommunication, if you don't communicate. I don't, and uh, there's two ways that happens in, the, in, in a body. Uh, there's miscommunication if the, if the brain doesn't communicate to the various parts, but there's also feedback that occurs. Um, I touch something and it's hot, and it feeds back to my muscles uh, uh, so that I quickly pull away. So uh, the, 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 mis- most, the worst miscommunication doesn't occur only between Jesus the head and us the parts of the body, but uh, uh, the body can't, often, very often doesn't work properly because we miscommunicate with each other. And we do that when we tell lies, falsehood. Do you get the basic picture? And then, when that happens, the body can't work. Isn't that a wonderful picture? Uh, okay? It's a very simple picture, but it's very profound. Uh, and it's very difficult to see on the big scale of this congregation, because you've got such a big congregation, but you can see it most clearly in uh, friendship or in your marriage. Uh, okay? Uh, so, uh, uh, a human part... A human body only works properly if there is honest, true, reliable communication. Now, uh, to use the analogy, so if I put my uh, hand on the hot plate of the stove and the, uh, 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 the communication goes, say, this is lukewarm, what will happen? I'll be burnt and the whole body will suffer and be in pain. Okay? Notice it's not just the finger will be burnt and hurt, but the whole body suffers because of the lack of feedback, the lack of accurate feedback. Okay, now, um, what lies behind, uh, what's one of the most uh, common, it's not the only reason, what's one of the most common reasons for uh, falsehood, lying, miscommunication? Um, uh, and Paul touches a very interesting places and he says, it is anger. Anger. Everywhere I go these days, I meet angry people. 
switch on the television. Uh, angry people. Um, think of workplace, where you are. Angry people. Go on the road and you get, you know, what you get. Um, uh, yes, literally. Uh, you get angry people, people who are angry. And worst of all, I find that some of the most angry people are in the church. And the devil does his worst work in the church and in families, in marriages, anger. Now, what lies behind anger? And is anger itself the problem? Just listen to what Paul says. It's, it's, it's really remarkable. He says, he says, I'd expect him to say, don't be angry. But he says, be angry. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give room or space to the devil. Now, um, that's a wonderful word of wisdom uh, uh, which I could spend two or three hours unpacking. Just what it is and its relevance. Because I think... uh, Paul here touches on what wasn't just a problem in the ancient world, but has become increasingly a problem in a country like yours and mine. Okay, when are we angry? Okay, I, well, first of all, anger is the biggest threat to living in community. Um, what angry people do is to sort of create a wasteland around themselves. Have you ever lived with an angry person? Not just occasionally angry, but continually in a state of anger and seen how corrosive and toxic it is, uh, nothing worse. Uh, one or two angry people who are always angry, but always boiling, even if it's tamped down, uh, uh, have a corrosive effect on a whole community. Now, um, in our societies, which are governed by, uh, 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 which are basically Northern European, um, uh, we very often have the mistaken opinion that angry it's, anger itself is sinful. Is it sinful to be angry? No. Why? Number one, God himself is angry, not with people, but he's angry with evil. And he wouldn't be God if he wasn't outraged with evil. Um, Okay? Anger is very important, just as guilt is very important. What does anger show? Why is it that God has created us in such a way that we feel angry? Think of, when do you feel angry? Well, I don't know about you, but I feel angry when somebody hurts me, abuses me. And it shows that something is wrong in a relationship with other people. Um, uh, uh, the Anger comes from being hurt, suffering abuse or misjustice, injustice. Uh, and, okay, and it's a very important uh, way that God's make, made us because it shows that something's wrong, it needs to be fixed up. But then the devil gets hold of it. And he twists it and uses it in a wrong way. And uh, so the sin that comes from anger is not anger itself but in its misuse. Instead of using it in, uh, in order to get things fixed up, what's wrong in a relationship, usually because someone else has sinned against you, you then go down the devil's way. And um, it uh, uh, leads to retaliation. Um, so the usual cause of anger, cause of anger is verbal abuse and injustice in a Christian community. 
And the danger comes about if you don't deal with it immediately, um, if you sleep on it. What happens is somebody has really put the knife into you. I go to bed, still angry. And what does the devil do? He gets me to replay and replay the incident. And the more I, I replay it, in my mind, the more angry I become. Eh? You, get it, you get the replaying of the incident. It grows worse. And then I remember all the other bad things that person's done to me. And the anger builds up. And the result of that means uh, 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 that I uh, basically build up the head of steam like a pressure cooker. Replay the incident. It grows worse. I'm hurt from the abuse. And the hurt then becomes enrage. And enrage leads to outrage. Um, and I take the moral high ground. The more I replay the institute, the incident, the more I feel I'm right and that person's wrong. I've appended a little thing at the end of this that you might want to read, um, but it's delicious to be right and for other, the person to be wrong because I have the moral high ground. I'm justified in judging the person, condemning the person, and taking revenge on the person. What? Forgetting that we are also sinful. Yes, because that means that I act as if I'm God and I'm self-righteous. I've done nothing wrong. That person's done something so terrible that I'm justified in taking revenge. And the thing, the weapon we usually use to take revenge is this. Um, so then you have hurt, enrage, outrage, and eventually the anger builds up and it's like a pressure cooker. It's got to come out. And we then uh, it, it bursts out in verbal and physical abuse. Uh, for women, it tends to be verbal abuse. Majority, you, know, you, you can't generalise, but this is sort of is verbal abuse. For men, it usually is physical. Okay. Um, uh, so Paul says, don't give the devil... A room in your house, a room in your heart, where he can take residence and take over. Keep the devil out of your house. Keep the devil out of your heart. And what's the secret of keeping the devil out of your heart? It's making sure that you don't go to bed angry. Simple rule. Don't go to bed angry. Um, deal with it in some way before you go to bed. Maybe not literally, but get it dealt with as soon as possible. Um, which means that you need to uh, somehow unload your anger somewhere. Don't bottle it up. Don't unload it on other people. Who can you, where and how can you unload your anger? God himself, Jesus. I'll come to that in a minute. Um, to express your anger, let it come out, but on the right object, not the wrong object. Uh, okay, so we have... Paul's advice, he says, be angry, but in a way that you do not sin. By the way, um, the Greek word for devil means a person who slanders somebody else. In what way is the devil a slanderer? He, uh, somebody else has hurt us, um, so he slanders that person to us. And we slander that person. So, uh, and then the devil slanders 
God, but he also slanders us. Just, you can run that, that's the picture for the devil. Okay, um, more on that later if we have time. Okay, any reactions on that? I've spent too much time on it, but this is the key for everything that follows. Anger. I have what I call my anger index. There's two things that I use to check my, uh, the state of my conscience. So, am I, is my conscience guilty? And the second one, which is even more important for me, is am I angry? If you want to check your soul, do I feel guilty? Am I angry? Okay, now, um, uh, uh, let's say, uh, quite often, and Paul's assuming here, that in his congregation, the uh, cause of anger, quite commonly, is in, in that community, the abuse that his uh, members, the people, are suffered because of what they suffer at work. Uh, all of you have been in a situation where you've had abusive teachers, or worst of all, abusive bosses, people over you? It's people who are over you that do the greatest damage to you that hurt you most of, most of all. And so you have a, a, a common revenge then. Um, okay, you can use your tongue and abuse your boss, but if you want to punish your boss, you're in a position of trust, uh, the simplest way of getting back at your boss is to steal, pilfer, to be dishonest um, in such a way that you won't be found. So Paul goes on to say, he says, uh, and there's a surprising jump here that we've got a bridge. He says, let the thief no longer steal. The, behind that lies an angry person who's a worker, a slave, and then getting back at the boss by stealing from the boss. Let the thief, thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with every, anyone in need. Uh, uh, you, okay, that's the one way we uh, go, but more commonly we use this. Okay, uh, so a uh, person's angry, been hurt, suffered injustice, you get, if you're an employee, you get back at the boss in a secret way. It's not gross stealing, you don't take away a thousand dollars, but you... you uh, uh, pilfer. Uh, uh, you aren't, don't deal honestly. Uh, but Paul says the important thing is not to steal, but in fact to work hard so that you can earn money in order not for you to make a good living, but so that you'll have more than enough to do what? To help other people. To come to church and say, okay, alms giving. You've got an alms basket here. So that you can come and uh, help other people. <laughs> Uh, because that's the opposite of being angry and stealing from other people, is uh, being generous and giving physically to help other people. Um, the most common way we, however, deal with anger, particularly in the church and in marriages and families, is to use this weapon. Uh, we usually punish those that abuse us by gossiping about them and slandering them. And it seldom is face-to-face, but basically what you do is assassinate that person in the community. You gossip, and the gossip goes to slander, and by slandering that person, you destroy that person's reputation in the community. Just think of what damage has been done in this congregation by gossip 
and slander. That's the usual way that we have of hitting back, punishing. Uh, And Paul uses a remarkable picture for this. He says that uh, uh, that slanderous speech is uh, 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 putrid. You know, if, if something's rotten, it's not only rotten in itself, but it infects everything around it. Um, it infects and poisons uh, the food around it. So rotten speech leads to, uh, infects and poisons the whole community. And just listen to what Paul says is the remedy to that. He says, let, do not let corrupting talk. Now that's a little bit, uh, the picture's lost. I'd better say, do not let putrid word, let any putrid word, rotten word, come out of your mouths, but only such as are good for doing what? Building up. Edification. I'll come to that picture. Uh, As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So, gracious speech rather than putrid speech. Um, the remedy, Paul says, is gracious speech that builds up, uh, builds up people, builds up the community. And the picture that he uses here is of uh, building up a house rather than tearing down a house. Or um, even more importantly, it's a picture of building up a temple, a holy place, rather than tearing down a holy place. Um, we'll see how that comes in a minute. So instead of building up holy community as the temple of God, it's tearing down the holy community of God. Uh, Now what's the danger of foul speech, Paul says, is that it grieves the Holy Spirit. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now here we get a number of pictures that are not immediate to us, but once you get them, they're really telling. First of all, the word grieve. Um, When do you grieve? What? When you lose something, okay? You lose something, that's most of all. And so uh, uh, you grieve when you lose something. And what's the worst form of grief that we have in normal human community? Death. Now that's important. So when you lose something, and most of all, uh, when you lose a person who's dear to you. What is it that grieves the Holy Spirit? It means that the Holy Spirit's lost a person. That a person has... What's happened to that person? That person's been killed, has died, or is in danger of dying. You get the basic picture? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. What do you, how do you grieve the Holy Spirit? When you use this to assassinate people and destroy the community. Get the basic picture? And then second picture, Paul says, is in whom, the Holy Spirit, in whom you were sealed uh, for the day of redemption. Now, do, in, yes, please. The, the grieving of the Holy Spirit, is that not the one unforgivable? No, that's, that's something quite different. The sin against the Holy Spirit, this is not sin against the Holy Spirit. Um, this is just that. It's what we do that makes the Holy Spirit uh, grieve because uh, 
we have killed a holy person that belongs to the Holy Spirit. This is the community. It's community thinking. He's thinking about what happens in community. So what is it that grieves the Holy Spirit most of all in this congregation? Is when people do something that destroys people in the community, instead of building them up, that destroys a person's soul and destroys the community by destroying souls within the community. You get the basic picture? Okay, now he, uses, he says, he uses the picture in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, we don't, uh, uh, this is, uh, the picture's not immediately apparent to us, but seals were very important in the ancient world. Now, let's say I had a, uh, a book, okay? Now, these days, I put my name on the book. Now, what's the purpose of putting my name on the book? To show that this book belongs to me. Um, uh, so, uh, 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 the most important thing that a person in the ancient world wore was not just a ring like mine, but a uh, uh, ring with a seal on it, which is the signature of the person. And you would seal documents. You wouldn't sign your cheque, but you'd seal a cheque. Uh, you would put a seal on a piece of property to show that that thing belongs to you. Uh, so, for example, you'd seal a possession, put it in a box, put wax on it, and then you'd put your, uh, seal it with your uh, uh, signet ring, and this shows anybody else that this thing belongs to you, and nobody else can open it and take it away. Get the basic picture? Uh, it was used in many, many different ways. But you get the picture? The Holy Spirit puts his seal put his seal on you on the day you were baptised when the pastor said, receive the sign of the cross. You remember that? You were sealed with the name of Jesus. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. The sign of the cross is also CH to show that you belong to who? Jesus. Um, so when you use this to destroy another person... You grieve the Holy Spirit because the, it's... Uh, uh, why is this the case? Because the Holy Spirit and Jesus have lost a precious person, a precious possession. Some person that has been sealed and marked and said, this person is mine. It belongs to me. This, better than that, this person is not a sinner anymore, but this person is holy. Holy. Uh, and this person is not just belong to me now, but belongs to me for how long? Forever, for all eternity, belongs to me. And what have you done when you assassinate that person? What? You're taken away from Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and you've desecrated God's holiness. You're guilty of sacrilege. Uh, you think you've punished a person who's a rotten, miserable so-and-so, but what you've done is that you have attacked a holy person and destroyed a holy person. Do you know the biggest cause for people leaving the church, turning away from the church, is when some Christian, and usually a person in authority, does something really rotten. They get so angry and hurt that the only way that they can cope with it is to leave the community. That's 
the normal reason for people to leave a community. Don't grieve the Spirit. Watch this. Watch your anger. Otherwise, you'll grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, that's something, isn't it? Okay, then how does Paul end this? He says, um, this section, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath... Uh, wrath is not a common word anymore. The, the, the word that we would use these days is rage. Now, bitterness leads to rage. And then rage becomes anger. So you have enrage and then that leads to outrage. And then you get verbal abuse, clamour and slander. He says, let all these things be put away along with all malice. Now, let's work backwards. What's malice? Oh, everywhere you've got malicious people. Oh, how terrible. What does, what's malice? A, peep, a person with evil intentions who wants to do evil to you, who wishes evil on you, and wants to make you see, make you suffer, and to see you suffer. Okay, wishing evil, speaking evil, evil intention to hurt and destroy a person. It's a bit like a cat playing with a mouse. Okay, um, doesn't want to eat it, but just wants to play with it and see it suffer and has delight in suffering of another person. Germans have got a lovely word for that, schadenfreude, joy in doing evil, schadenfreude. Okay, now um, there's one surprise here. Uh, I'd expect Paul to say, put away all this garbage. Put it all away. But he doesn't say, put it away. Have any noticed the surprise here? He says, not put it away, but let it be put away. Not active, but passive, if you know grammar. It's not something you do. You can't, do, you can't get rid of it by yourself. No matter how hard you try, all you do is reshuffle stuff, uh, recycle stuff, and it goes somewhere else and causes damage there. Uh, if we had time, I'd unpack where it goes. But uh, uh, you can't get rid of itself. Who's the only person who can heal your hurt, heal your bitterness that comes from the hurt, and get rid of the cause of your rage, which leads then to a, a, a verbal or physical abuse? The Holy Spirit and Jesus. Jesus doesn't just take away the sins that you've committed, but he also takes away, and the guilt of the sins that he committed, he also takes away the effect of the sin that's committed against you. He comes to you and says, in effect, here I am, take it out on me. Uh, that's what I did on the cross. That's why I'm present with you here in Holy Communion. Unload on me. Dump on me. Be angry. Tell me how you feel and why you feel by the way you've been hurt. Now, there's lots of psalms. I don't know whether you've noticed them. These are the psalms that are least popular, at least were least popular in the church for many years. They're called the individual laments. Uh, uh, just have a look at them. If we had time, I'd list them for you. Uh, but if you, can, if you want to, you can write down Psalm 13. Uh, that's a, a very common one. What these laments do is somebody's been hurt. They have an enemy and they've been hurt. Their faith is threatened by their hurt. And they're angry. Ooh, they're hopping mad. And they tell 
God than how they feel. They dump on God. So Paul says, okay, what's the secret to uh, dealing with anger? Um, It means that uh, you start off uh, right at the root of it. The root of the trouble lies in bitterness. Now, I've been hurt. Is that wrong? I feel angry. Is that wrong? Yeah. And then comes the next one. The sun doesn't go down on your wrath. The devil gets on your back and keeps on uh, 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 accusing um, uh, uh, the other person of sinning against you. And the hurt turns to bitterness. Okay. Uh, uh, you begin to produce vinegar and then you drink in vinegar and that vinegar makes you sour and bitter. So it starts off. Notice the sequence here. Let all bitterness be put away with all rage and anger. Okay, you see? Hurt, bitterness, uh, that it has the emotional effect of Rage, anger, and that comes out in your tongue. Uh, Clamour or verbal abuse, slander. And behind that, bitterness is closely connected then with malice. When I'm bitter, uh, I want to take revenge. I think revenge is sweet, but have any of you noticed that revenge is only always sweet in prospect? It never actually is sweet afterwards. It merely increases the bitterness. Um, when you take on revenge on somebody else, you damage your own soul. Uh, sorry? We need two minutes of gospel, then bless us, and we have to go to the Eucharist. Okay, yes, yes, okay. Uh, very, yeah, uh, let, yes. Kind of bringing us back to the beginning. Yes. What I'm here being described every step of the way is one more way of denying what is true. That's right. That's, you've and, got it. And uh, it's only by seeing the truth that we can find a solution to anything. Yes, and experiencing the truth. And that's quite simple. Instead of copying each other, we copy our Heavenly Father who loves us, who's gracious to us, who forgives us. Uh, we copy not each other, but we copy him. Um, And secondly, we walk with Jesus. We walk with Jesus and uh, uh, he is sweet to us so that we in turn can be sweet to each other. He sacrificed himself and he gives, uh, he sacrificed himself for us not just for the sins that we commit, but also for the sins that are committed against us. And uh, we experience the fact that he gives himself to us, his love to us, that he treats us generously, graciously, in a forgiving way, most of all in the Eucharist. And that's why you have incense in the Eucharist. Uh, Incense is not, first of all, uh, uh, splashed over you. Where does it begin? At the altar, because the sweetness of the love of God, the sweetness of the grace of God, comes from the cross, through the altar, onto you. 
And the result of that is that when you come to communion, you come to that place where the incense has been. And for anybody with any sense of smell, um, uh, when you go outside, they will smell what? They won't necessarily smell your body odour, but they will smell your Jesus odour. It hangs on. Okay, you take the sweet smell of Jesus from where? From the altar to the community, back to your pew, and then you take it back home. And if your wife and kids haven't been at church, they can smell that you've been at church. Uh, That's where I want to leave you. Uh, You can, uh, I've basically put the fuller picture, you can read the rest of that yourself. Uh, Let's, how much time do I have? Zero, Zero, okay. (laughs) Okay, let's end it there. Uh, Let's pray. Okay, okay. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sweetness of your grace that you've shown to us in Christ and that you show to us in the divine service and in Holy Communion. We pray today that the sweetness of your grace may be upon us so that we carry that sweetness, so that we give that sweetness to each other as members of this community and carry it out into our daily lives. Uh, We pray that you'll fill us with your Holy Spirit uh, so that we may be gracious and sweet in dealing with other people, including those who abuse us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God the Father, remove from you the spirit of anger and bitterness and give you his holy, healing, gentle spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.